Hebrews 12 is the concluding exhortation which comes from all the examples we've just read in chapter 11. The point we're to take from all these examples is in verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So having considered the great cloud of witnesses, we are to follow their example by laying everything aside that holds us back from reaching that goal. And we're to run with endurance, with our eyes set squarely on Jesus, who endured far more, but as a result, sits with God. The author of Hebrews wants us to have a long-term perspective on our suffering. Yes, things are hard now. Yes, we miss out on many of the promises that the world makes to us. But all of that pales in comparison to what waits for us after. We who share in the sufferings of Christ will also share in the heavenly inheritance of Christ. So we're to keep on considering the example of Jesus and what his suffering means. Verses 3 through 11 give us the proper perspective. To many, suffering means punishment. It means that you've done something wrong or that God is mad at you. To others, suffering means abandonment. It means that God simply doesn't care enough to help you. But can suffering mean hatred and abandonment when we consider how much Jesus suffered? He wasn't hated or punished. He was God's beloved son and knew no sin. He wasn't abandoned by God, but throughout the Gospel of John, we are constantly reminded that he was one with God. So Hebrews brings out an important aspect of suffering that often gets lost. Suffering is discipline, and God only disciplines the one he loves. Hebrews 12.5 is a quotation of Proverbs 3.11, and it reminds us that discipline is something that a loving father does with his children. Discipline is not punishment. It is not something done out of hatred. Discipline is when a father inflicts suffering for the sake of reforming, correcting, and improving their child. God is able to take the sinful actions of the world that are thrown against us and turn them to our benefit. That's what God is doing when we go through suffering. He's treating us as his children and using it to form us into the image of Christ. Just as a child without discipline becomes a brat, a Christian without discipline becomes weak and eventually dies. We endure the suffering because we can properly understand that it originates from love, and its end is to make us more like Jesus. It's painful now, but the results are worth it. Verses 12-17 through 17 are then a series of warnings and admonitions to be stronger. Verse 12 is a quotation of Isaiah 35 verse 3. And the reason why we're able to be strengthened is in Isaiah 35 verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. God is coming to take vengeance on those who afflict his people and heal us. So according to verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And there are many ways that we can fail to attain that grace. We hear about the root of bitterness, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 29.18. It's about people whose heart says that I can walk in sin, but still find forgiveness. We're also warned about sexual immorality, which was apparently an issue among the Hebrew audience, and that ensnared many and kept them from God's grace. We can fail to obtain God's grace like Esau, who forfeited his inheritance for the temporary blessing of food and was unable to get it back. In our suffering, we can make the same mistakes, thinking that we can compromise our faith, presume on God's mercy, and sacrifice our inheritance for quick comforts. 
But Hebrews warns us that walking in such a way will separate us from the grace of God. The chapter concludes in verse 18 through 29 with an example of two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai was a dark fire, a gloomy storm. And when the voice spoke from the fire, it terrified all of Israel and demanded that anyone who touches the mountain should be put to death. But we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God who makes us perfect, and to Jesus who cleanses us from all sin. The point of comparison is in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject who warns from heaven. As we've heard time and time again in Hebrews, our access to God through Jesus brings on us a greater responsibility to respond. If those of old were judged by the inferior Mount Sinai, how much more liable are we if we refuse the call of Mount Zion? But Mount Zion is not just a threat, it's also a refuge. God says that he is going to shake all things in creation, bringing down the powers and authorities and leaving behind only his unshakable city. And if we join him on Mount Zion, then we too will remain after the judgment. Our God is a consuming fire, but God wants us to be able to dwell peacefully with him.